This is the basketball buzz. But I can only say it may not be for everyone. I mean, it will entail enormous sacrifice on behalf of those players and, and for everyone involved, the coaches, the referees. Listen, it's not an ideal situation. We're, we're trying to find a way to our own normal in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of essentially a recession or worse with 40 million unemployed, and now with enormous social unrest in the country. And so as, as we work through these issues, I can understand how some players may feel that it's not for them. And as, as you said, it could be for a host of reasons. It may be for um, family reasons. It may be for health reasons they have, or it may be because they feel, as some players have said very recently, that their time is best spent elsewhere. Welcome to the Basket Buds edition of the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Zach Harper. Today, joined by Wozni Lambre, our cultural anthropologist. We have Jay King. We have Fred Katz, Jade Hoist pushing buttons. And gentlemen, we have a good message from certain players in the Players Association and the wrong messengers because Dwight Howard and Kyrie Irving are 100% doing the right thing, whether it's standing up for social justice and making sure that message is met met properly and delivered properly during this time, whether that's looking out for player health during the COVID-19 crisis and pandemic in this country as cases continue to rise, especially in Florida, where they're going to be put in the pseudo bubble, whether it's trying to get certain adult beverages to be free at the Walt Disney World Resort, whatever it is was, Kyrie and Dwight are correct in this. It's just you couldn't have picked two worse messengers to deliver this as the players are trying to figure out whether or not it's worth coming back. Yeah, I th- I've seen, a, you know, by now we've gotten all the takes from all the usual suspects um, as far as, you know, in the mainstream sports media. And then, of course, there was the response online. And, you know, a lot of the talking points have been, should guys just straight up quit the NBA just to pursue um, this goal of creating, you know, a maximum amount of awareness and put a, apply a maximum amount of pressure on the powers that be in order to, you know, p- further push the movement forward, right? Um, I think when people say, you know, should these guys be quote-unquote working, um, I, I think that's a, that's a false context, right? Like these guys have jobs. Obviously, the NBA is a job, but these guys are entertainers. Their job is to entertain people. And so the concept that, these black dudes would be out entertaining, performing in the midst of the biggest popular uprising in 50 years in this country. Um, you know, and it's about black issues, you know, the optics of that, like that matters. Um, whether you, whether you like Kyrie's flat earth theories or, you know, the fact Why that on I the do call not. he's quoted, <laughs> I'll tell you, I do the not. fact that, that on the qu- call he's quoted as saying, Something smells fishy or, you know, Dwight Howard back when he was 18 years old said he wanted to put the cross of Jesus on NBA jerseys, then proceeded to have like 80 kids out of wedlock. Um, You know, like you can you can cite those things as facts because they are facts and, and you get to look at um what Kyrie and Dwight Howard have to say with a sort of slanted eye. But uh, the fact of the matter is. This is an issue that they absolutely should be talking about, right? Like the season's not going to be back for another 45 days or so, um, which is a long time from now. And so many things can change. Like we've seen what could change in two weeks, you know, let alone another six. So, uh, you know, those 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 concerns are well-founded. I, I think you can absolutely be skeptical of the messengers. You know, these guys, their reputations are just what they are. We all know what they are. Um, but I think the points that are being raised are valid so, ones. So, Jay, should the messengers matter here or should the message matter? Because I, I, I'm torn on whether or not – like I, I fully believe in them trying to decide if, you know, the protests against police brutality, the protests for Black Lives Matter, um, you know, I'm trying to decide if that message and, and that focus um, – should should be tainted at all by who's saying it because it because it does seem to be at least that's and this is not the best way to judge things but on social media people are saying how can they really believe this because look at who's saying it 
Yeah, the reaction to Kyrie saying that is very different than it would have been if someone who hadn't had his entire history of, I mean, I'll use the term disruptor, um, which Adrian Wojnarowski used during his article. Um, But at the same time, I don't think that should matter. I don't think that's what's important here. I think the other layer to this is that Kyrie and Dwight and everybody speaking up now, they're giving voices to the guys who aren't the superstars. For a long time, it felt like the superstars were driving this conversation and the superstars wanted to resume the season. And a lot of those guys have major, major incentive to do that. LeBron James, this could be his last chance at a title. Giannis, the Bucks are an absolute juggernaut. This, This is their time. Like, there are a lot of guys that have incentive. There are other guys, like, you're, you're going to be asking the Phoenix Suns to go to the bubble for 45 days and not see their family, not see their friends, have super limited restrictions on them, their freedom. For what? For what? So they can still miss the playoffs? Like, right. for, for some of these guys, and on top of that is the health risk. And I mean, if you've been paying attention to the cases in Florida, they're skyrocketing. And in Orlando, the Orange County, they're also rising. So I don't know how much that matters if it's in an absolute bubble, but bubbles are like, it's not going to be the easiest thing to contain all of that on top of all the other issues. So I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to live in a bubble for three and a half months, four months. I wouldn't want to live in a bubble for a month and a half if I had no chance of of winning anything. And so I I think the the bigger part of this is that Kyrie speaking up empowered other guys to speak up. And Kyrie obviously hasn't been the best leader throughout his time in the NBA. But I think in this case, it's important for everybody to have that voice. And it's not just the stars who are going to be trapped in this bubble. It's, It's 22 different teams with players that have all types of different perspectives, all types of different reasons for either being there or not being there. And so I think these are important discussions to have no matter who is leading the conversation. So Fred, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that came up over the last few days in kind of critiquing or picking apart what's being reported was why did they, why didn't they do this a week ago, two weeks ago, right? When they were, when they were voting on whether or not to accept the framework and, and then hammer out the details, my, my answer to this has been, well, what if they've just gotten more information that they didn't like, right? Why, like, I, I think it would be better if the leadership had, had spoken up a week ago or when this was happening. But if it happens a week later and we still – and like Waz said, we still have like, what, 45 days until this stuff is supposed to be back? I guess to me, I don't, I don't think it matters that they started doing this a week later than the vote. Um, but at the same time, maybe it is a fair criticism. Where do you stand on that? I think it's a fair criticism. I think we can say that the points and the motives are are completely leg- legitimate, but also say the process was flawed. I don't see why those two things are mutually exclusive. Um, I think Kyrie, if Kyrie were had no ranking in the Players Association, I think this process would make more sense as somebody who was on the call and 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 according to reports, at least the same, you know I've seen the same reports as you guys. Didn't raise those concerns last week. Yes, totally possible that there, there's new information. Obviously, a lot of this has to do with Black Lives Matter, and a lot has changed in Black Lives. I mean, that was that was what it, that meeting was maybe a week or so after George Floyd was was killed, right? So think about how much has changed in the last week, week and a half, two weeks uh, with with the protests and just um, how much how much that that entire movement has picked up. So I would understand that. It would be totally reasonable for him to have this realization after the call. To me, there's kind of a there. There's something going on that's not right in the Players Association, all the way down to the fact that that vote. I mean, everyone's seen this, right? That vote was 28 to nothing in favor of continuing negotiations, right? And everybody points right. out that that meant it was well, it was unanimous. It wasn't unanimous. There are 30 teams. Why are there only 28 player reps voting? Like something, right. something is wrong with the process of the players association. And and I've thought this for a little bit. Um, I I I have, you know, I I've spoken to players about it a little bit, and a lot of players I think uh, treat it kind of like student government. 
but it's a lot more important than student government because they actually get stuff done. And I don't know where the problem is. I don't know if the problem is in um, full-on player um, participation or if it starts in the leadership or or if it starts with the player-associated leadership or anything like that. But like on a call that important, why is the vote 28 nothing? Why isn't it 30 nothing or 28-2 or 29-1? Like there, I feel like there has to be more organization. There has to be um, – so there, there has to be a more organic and more transparent process dispersed to the players. I'm sure there are tons of players who had no idea what was going on through that process, you know? And to me, that's a problem. Like they have to be informed. And again, I don't know if the onus is on the players who should be receiving the information or the ones who should be giving the information, but like that's, that to me is a problem that we can point out while also saying that all of us want the exact same thing as Kyrie, which is to raise awareness for Black Lives Matter and for racial, you know, uh, racial injustice and for police brutality and all of those same things that Kyrie wants. Um, and we can talk, still talk about the the player association stuff because that's how stuff like that's how stuff fails to get done. You know, that's why you end up with these moments being more uh, seemingly disorganized than they need to be. Why well, should? Maybe this is an unfair question, but should Chris Paul and LeBron James be spearheading any of this? Because it does seem it does seem very skewed. And and that's the other thing with this Kyrie stuff is you see a lot of like, oh, he's Kyrie's trying to make sure LeBron doesn't get a chance at another title. And I'm like, I'm 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 listening to that and I'm hearing these theories. Uh, I'm like, is he really that diabolical? Like that seems like such a theory. stretch to me. No, but at the same no. time, LeBron clearly has a motive to get this thing back on track, and it's been very vocal about getting this thing back on track. Chris Paul has, you know, limited time left in this league, even though he's still very good. He has limited time, and and I do think that those voices, and I and I don't even know if that's fair to say. Hey, they shouldn't be spearheading this thing because why not? Right? They they've been in the league a long time. They have a lot of perspective. Um, yes, they have agendas, but everyone's going to have an agenda in in focusing their their efforts towards a certain vote amongst the players. So, it, should these guys be as vocal and as as you know as much of a leader as they are, or should you get a better mix of of what's up there? I mean, to me, it's everybody's interests are sort of aligned here when the figure that's been reported. And sort of that's out there is a recoupment of $650 million for all the players. And so when it comes to the financial incentives, I don't think anybody is off of that track. Like somebody, again, Kyrie, who's injured and whether he put like his team has been invited back and he doesn't have to play to get the money. Right. Like it doesn't matter. He's injured. He's going to make that money. There are guys who really want to recoup as much money as they possibly can, who, as Austin Rivers cited, don't possess the financial freedom that a Kyrie Irving does because there are plenty of players. And, you know, I would argue the rank and file players. The 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 the, the, the average NBA union member has not just by you know the the facts of the economics of the league hasn't earned as much as Kyrie has earned or even Dwight Howard has earned um in their career so the idea that they would just say no and just easily step away from from that money and some people might say oh that's short-sighted no it's long-sighted <laughs> like that that's they're never going to be able to get that money back they're not going to like as you age just because you didn't play this year doesn't mean when you're 39 you're not going right. to still be a 39 year old right like it doesn't work like that you know what i'm saying like you don't just get to subtract this year then add it on at some other point in your life like this money is gone because you're aging and you're going to age out of the league and i think that's why a majority of these guys want to come back like from all indications a majority of the players want to come back now if there are people whether they're role players or not I don't I honestly think it's immaterial because if your health is on the line like your voice matters right if it was just money 
then I'd be like, yeah, you know, you're not one of the drivers of the league. You don't push ratings on TNT and ESPN. Maybe you, your voice doesn't really need to be as as heard, you know, if you're the 12th man on a team as somebody like a Kevin Durant or LeBron James or Stephen Curry because they are driving the revenue that puts money in your pocket, right? Um, and, and, you know, that could be argued, but when it comes to health, it doesn't matter what your pay, scra- your pay scale is. You you absolutely should be speaking up for yourself if you feel like you're going to get have permanent respiratory issues or all these other things. Uh, um, I, I hear you, Zach, but I think when it comes to health, uh, whether it's LeBron or some random, you know, guy that's barely hanging on to the team, people like that part of it should absolutely be spoken about. And, you know, of course, the social justice part. Like, I, I think everybody should be talking about it. Now, when it comes to negotiations and getting this thing back on, I mean, like, <laughs> I feel like we're overcomplicating this, and I hate to belabor this point, but yeah, it's, it's about, the, about money. the money. Yeah. The league itself, the partnership with the owners is about money. Like, the reason why we're partnering here is because we can get money out of this. That's it. Like, there's no other reason why the players have joined into this covenant with the owners other than it's a business deal and they want to get money. And why so just I, to add I think to that's that, what's driving all of this. CJ McCollum, I forget when he said this, pretty recently, CJ McCollum estimated publicly that half of NBA players live paycheck to paycheck and the whole world freaked out, right? There's no way that could be true. Look how much NBA players make. There's no way they go paycheck to paycheck in their daily lives. And like my reaction, I cover the NBA. I'm around tons of these guys. And even my reaction was like, there's no way it's 50%. That sounds like a, like a wild number. So I hit up a player who would definitely know. And I asked him like, what was your reaction to this? And he said, yeah, he might be a little bit low. And 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 I spoke to wow. an agent about it, and the agent estimated higher than 50% too. These are all estimations. No one's done a survey. But at least in those three conversations with people who know, the players know because they're around players and other players are their friends. The agent knows because he, he literally helps guys with their finances. That is quite literally his job. I feel confident saying that at least a significant portion of NBA players live paycheck to paycheck. If you're living paycheck to paycheck – then getting a prorated salary is really going to hurt you. The possibility of potentially having a lockout because Orlando doesn't happen is going to completely change your life, right? Like you have to guard against that if you're worried about paying your mortgage and just the necessities of everyday life. And that is something that I imagine will come into play for a lot of guys. And I'm sure there are a lot of guys out there who might agree with Kyrie and might agree with Dwight, but might be saying like, I am not in a lifestyle position to where I'm going to be able to execute that. I need to go to Orlando just so I can pay my rent. The other part that this brings up is the real possibility that the NBA resumes and the playoffs happen and at least one contending team is without a key player. And obviously Dwight Howard isn't what Dwight Howard used to be, but if he stays home, if he doesn't go to the bubble, if he decides that it's it's not worth it for him to go to Orlando and play for the Lakers, that's a hit for them. He's had a good year and the NBA has has been pretty open lately about the fact that players they will take a financial hit if they don't go but they won't otherwise be penalized for not going into the bubble. And I, I think that's a real possibility that, that there will be some players, including players on very good teams, who decide not to go. And I, I think it's it's a super complicated situation. I think every player has to make his own decision. But then there's like inner team dynamics. Like how, how would LeBron feel about Dwight Howard staying home? What, what, are, what are the conversations LeBron is having with Dwight right now? And and those are all super complicated stuff. And obviously, LeBron has has been one of the players who spearheaded the player empowerment movement. And obviously, this is a time when players should feel empowered. Like this is a deadly virus that has killed 115,000 Americans. And on top of that, there's, there's black people are getting killed, killed, and and people want to take a stand, and and they're trying to figure out the best way to do that. So I wonder if the NBA can come to some sort of solution 
to satisfy the people who want to, you know, protest for social justice and, and still find a way to have those guys play and have give them the chance to feel like they're making the greatest impact they can on that movement. And I don't know if that solution's out there. I, I know that solution's individual for different people. I know that every everybody would feel differently about that. But the NBA should be trying to come up with some solution to to satisfy those players who feel that this movement is so significant that they're willing to to not play and, and not, you know, try to compete for a championship. Like like Dwight Howard said in his statement, I think he said basketball for me is done until until this this changes. Right. And so that that's like I don't know what's gonna happen with that, but there's definitely momentum towards some key players not not going to the bubble at all. Was well, I think we've I think we've seen the White House. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't consider that a binding <laughs> contract. Mean, yeah, yeah, and you know, to to Jay's point, and and you know, to Fred's point about the sort of financial fragility of the players in the league. I think another component of this is. What we've seen in the last three months is the financial fragility of that ownership class of Americans, um, essentially the capitalist class of Americans. Like these dudes had their hands out immediately. There's all this lecturing we hear from, you know, all over the place about, and, and it happens in sports all the time about all oh, these athletes and their frivolous spending, blah, 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 blah. Tillman Furtado wasn't ready for three months off. Well, he wasn't ready for three weeks off. Like he, was- he wasn't ready for normal time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. He had to take out a $300 million loan at, I think, like 10% interest or something. Might even be more than that. Something crazy like that. I think what the players need to understand, too, is that, you know, this idea that the owners could just sit back and chill and not make money, I think that's overblown. I think these guys are just as frivolous as the players are. I think in normal times, that would be right, where they could just sit back and live and be fine, but not, not during, Mickey this, Harrison, not during this pandemic. Yeah, like during this pandemic, there's like I, I tend to think the owners still have... I always think this is what goes on in The Oklahoma people right? and their oil money? I right. mean, come on. But, I, but I, th- <laughs> I think normally, like, owners can just sit back and they have the power and they, and they rule the lockout and they win the CBA until agents figure out how to outsmart owners in the CBA. And then all of a sudden, two years later, it's like, wow, we need, we gotta, we gotta get some things back in the CBA. We're owners. We can't be losing money like this, right? We can't be taking advantage of like, of this. Um, and I, and I think that in normal times, the owners would have a lot of power here. I don't know how that's going to look. If the players don't come back, if we tear up the CBA, if we go into an immediate negotiation and lockout and what that looks like, I think the players will be in trouble. A lot of the players, if we're estimating that 50% or more um, are living paycheck to paycheck, but we don't know what that ownership is going to be like. I mean, they like, and that's when you're going to see a lot of like bailout stuff. Zach, and, and you're seeing it with the baseball owners too. That's a, that's Absolutely. why they're so thirsty to get all of this money back, like at the cost of whatever, because they're like, look, man, we, we need this money. <laughs> like they, we need this money. We need this money. And the baseball players, because they're so used to having such an antagonist relationship with the ownership over there, just like, screw you guys. <laughs> like that's always our posture. Anyway, the NBA has over the years, um, the the Adam Silver has been able to engender a good feelings and relationships with the players union because of the robust new TV deals and everybody feels like they're getting so rich, um you know but as you can see man just from the the, the happenings of the past few days that stuff is always teetering man yeah because well was Adam Silver has a great relationship with the NBA because one he got to be the good guy for a long time next to David Stern right. Two, right. when he came in, he got rid of the race. Well, one of the racist owners, right? He got rid of right. Donald Stern, like the racist owner, right? And all of a right. sudden, the player's like, oh, he's with us. Then the TV deal hits and the cap spikes and all these players start making more and more money. But right. one, like, Jay, if that money starts getting, you know, less and less and they start losing money, I don't know that relationship between Adam Silver <laughs> and the players is going to be all that good. Yeah, and I mean, there are huge, huge implications 
to playing this season and returning. And I, I think you see some players trying to educate others on that. You see Jared Dudley on Twitter sometimes just pointing out like, if if this season doesn't happen, the owners can tear up the CBA. There could be no next season either. It could be a year plus with no paychecks for the players. It could could mean that the BRI split changes. It it could mean so many things for the history of the NBA. And, and I've ever and so there are just it's it's beyond like just coming back to this season. When you think of the the confluence of of factors right now and how important they all are it's it's mind-blowing and obviously the pandemic has brought that on the pandemic has made life like totally unrecognizable for a lot of ways but when you think about the the black lives matter how important that is the financial future of the nba how important that is like money for all of these players money for the owners billions of dollars on the line it's it's really mind blowing when you when you think about the importance of of getting this right and finding a solution that works at least to some extent for everybody. Like there is a lot on the line right now, and and I haven't even talked about the fact that the, the, there's a deadly virus that kills people, and right. and that all these guys who go in the bubble would be taking at least some risk. I know they they'll have it as as safe as as possible. But but there's risk there, and so there's just so much on the line in so many different ways for so many different people, and everybody has has different you know needs and and wants out of this thing. Everyone has their own perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Kyrie said something smells fishy. We know fish stink. You know, it doesn't stink. Hawthorne smelling good is important, guys, and Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. Waz, I know you're in on this Hawthorne stuff. Tell us about it. I just love it because you go on there, you take this very quick survey. They ask you about the type of products that you like to use and why. And then they come up with their own formulation or concoction. I think they have over 50,000 50, different thousand. Okay. That, that's a lot of combinations that they're able to come up with. Um, I know for my cologne, I told them that I'm, you know, I'm used to, I'm used to wearing Chanel blue, you know course, what I'm saying? Yeah, the the noir YSL. So they had to come up with something that could Ooh. be comparable to those two titans in the fragrance industries. And when I got back, I got back to work and to play and I was just like, mm, I'm ready to work, but I'm damn sure ready to play. Man. <laughs> and so, and of course with the soap, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big on the exfoliating mm-hmm. and, and that was second to none as far as all the products that I've used. You can name them on those shelves, and I've used them all because I like to. I'm an experimental type, Zach. You like to pamper and yourself, of course. Yeah, who and, doesn't? And, 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 and We're so recording we- on Skype right now, but I want to be able to smell you. <laughs> <laughs> you would not be disappointed, my brother. And, and, and so, and so, yeah, I just love. I love the customization because, again, you know, you might do something stupid like buy a one size fits all. Oh, shampoo, conditioner, Don't and body that. wash. Do like that, that product does not do any of those three thing, three functions well, right? Horrible product. Uh, uh, Hawthorne is giving you specially made conditioner, specially made shampoo, specially made body lotion, face wash. And of course, you know, my favorites are definitely the colognes. Cause like I said, the fragrance industry is so overpriced. And and these colognes are fifty bucks a pop, and oh my goodness, it just lasts the whole day. I, I, you got to get you on some Hawthorne. Father's Day is coming up. Uh, you might want to ask your your dad um, or your brother or whoever it is that you want to gift on Father's Day about what their favorite products might be and get them something. Hawthorne is it, y'all. Fred, I know you're worried because we're all washing our hands constantly, right? And your hands get cracked and dried. They got hand lotion, hand lotion that I swear you use this hand lotion once. It'll carry you for hours. My hands feel so smooth constantly. Well, I I wish I could reach out and hold it in that case. If it were... Well, you know what? Someday, someday we'll do that, but we'll probably have to... In in 2023, when it's it's socially acceptable to hold hands, we will will get some Hawthorne, we will smear it all over our bodies, and we will will touch hands. It'll be great. And and we'll have the softest skin. Uh, 
Oh, the softest skin. It's incredible. Plus, that face cleanser. Face cleanser is amazing. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E at the end and then .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. Use the promo code BACK. That's B-A-C-K. You get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. Promo code BACK to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Um, Waz, this is going to feel like a targeted question because you're only the, the only uh, black guy on the podcast right now, and and it is. Um, <laughs> wouldn't be the first. Time. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. Uh, Waz, I'm curious about what this debate has been of people trying to decide. Well, wouldn't the players be able to? Wouldn't the players be able to get that Black Lives Matter message out, the social justice mes- message out better by being on the court, by being a part of this experience with all these eyes on? Because we're still locked in the house, or we're supposed to be still locked in the house as a lot of cities open up, and then the second wave hits, and we'll be all be back in the house again. But isn't that the perfect platform to get this this message out there and to be activists and I don't know where I don't know what the answer is on that because I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it's more important for a lot of these players to be in their actual communities helping with the protests. Um, what do you think is the best mode for that? Uh, look, I know one thing. I, I know I don't want to hear Adam Silver say. No, we feel this is what this is what we do. You know, we put on NBA basketball. We think that for the country, it'll be a respite from enormous difficulties people are dealing with in their lives right now. And I also think in terms of social justice issues, it'll be an opportunity for NBA players in the greater community to draw attention to these issues because the world's attention will be on the NBA in Orlando, Florida, if we're able to pull this off. Uh, that's, that's one thing I do know. I don't want to hear Adam Silver tell me these guys will be best served playing and then saying the message. Like, I don't want to hear that from you at the same time. I think the notion that, you know, specifically for me as a black person, who's constantly paying attention to this kind of stuff anyway, that I can't, take my mind off a of playoff P and think about the, the senseless killings of black people by police at the same time. I mean, I find that notion to be a bit ridiculous, you know, and, and kind of patronizing to be, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, I'm going to be so like, there's a, it's I'm a one or so the other kind of thing. Right. I'm like, how am I going to process skinny Jochic and think about <laughs> the abolition of the police. Like, I, I, like, I, I just find that to be kind of ridiculous, you know, just as a, just as a general idea, but I don't know. I'm, I'm torn, right? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely torn. Uh, I think if the guys want to, that, that's my, my thing with the players is always the same. Do what y'all want to do. You know, if that's what the guys want to do, if they truly want to do, they're not being backed into a corner. Like, you know, I seen, I read the other day that Ohio State is making their football players sign waivers to come back to camp. <laughs> right? Like, you basically signing liability waivers. Like, yeah, I'm cool with doing this. And whatever happens to me, I'm on my own. So I can come out here and play football for free. That's not what's happening to NBA players. Right. And so I think it needs to I think people need to understand that, that they are controllers of their own destiny. And so therefore, if they want to do that and they want to talk about all of the things that are happening out on the street and in politics and all of that stuff, I'm all for it. I just me personally, I'm personally offended by the concept that I can't watch hoop and pay attention to what's happening in the society around us. Yeah. Fred, how Bad did Adam Silver come off last night when he said, we don't want these guys that to feel distracted, but people will get to, you know, we want this distraction for people, but it won't distract from, you know, whatever he said. I can't, it was, he did like four laps on his own point and I couldn't figure out where he was at the end of it. I think he was just, he was trying to straddle the line and, uh, he got caught up in the pulled. air and he didn't know if to pass or shoot. A hundred percent. He was trying to straddle the line and the line kept getting a little bit wider and he kept spreading his legs and then he pulled his grind. Um, and that that was exactly what that was. It was I I guess it was the wrong thing to say. I'm 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 probably um not the best person to speak on it because I am not the target demographic who uh who who should be throwing out how they feel about all this kind of stuff because it's not my decision to make. I'm with Waz. Like if you want to play, go play. If you don't want to play, don't go play. To me, what Silver said last night that stood out to me the most was at least that if you don't want to play, uh, it sounds like there are not going to be financial repercussions. So it's not like they're kind of, um, you know, 
holding guys up and saying, okay, you can choose not to play, but you're not going to get your salary, which is, you know, coercing guys into coming to Orlando. It sounds that at least sounds like it sounds encouraging and is definitely the way that they should do it. As for that moment. Yeah. I mean, it was ungraceful, but like, Honestly, I'm watching that interview, and my thought the whole time is, oh, this is at least way better than my, Rob Manfred. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, the, all I thought that whole time. <laughs> that, that can't be the standard yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's important to note, too, that the amount of time these guys would be trapped in the bubble, like, they literally would not be able to go to protest. And obviously, we've seen so many players – who have joined protests in the streets, who have, in Jalen Brown's case, organized protests in the streets. The Milwaukee Bucks, I believe, also organized a protest in the streets. And so that's clearly important to a lot of these players. They won't be able to leave the bubble no matter what happens, no matter what type of action is going on in the movement. They will not be able to leave that bubble unless they're willing to come back and quarantine for 10 to 14 days or whatever and miss playoff games miss all that so i think the the lack of freedom that players would have is important through this but i also think for everybody the conversation is different one player's ideal method of protesting may be very different from another's and i mean you go back to colin kaepernick his protest worked because he had the eyes of the nfl and the world on him when he was doing that. His message to me carried more weight because everything he said when he was asked about it was smart, was logical, and pointed people in the right direction. And it, so it wasn't just that that he knelt and and made people uncomfortable and started this conversation. He was pushing the conversation forward by saying all the right things and and enlightening people on the movement that he thought was necessary. And so I, I think there will be a platform for, for players who choose to do that. But also like some guys want to be in the streets. Some guys want to be with Steven Jackson in Minneapolis. Some guys want to be in their hometowns starting a March. Like, and I get that. And I think for everybody, that's just different. And that's why I'm not at all surprised that the NBA is divided on this is because everybody, for everybody, that conversation is different. So something I've thought about a lot since the Kyrie and, since Kyrie and Dwight specifically started talking about this is um, if you guys watched Dave Chappelle's 846 that came out recently, he talked about in there at the very beginning, he talked about uh, on one of the first nights of the Black Lives Matter protests, and he talked about Don Lemon calling out a bunch of celebrities and naming a bunch of celebrities, right? And saying, this person come out and say something. This person come out and say something. This person come out and say something. And Chappelle said, he basically disagreed with the premise of Don Lemon's argument, right? And he said, the point is not for a celebrity to say something. The streets are going to do the talking. That's the whole point. And I think that applies to this situation really well, right? The point is not for Kyrie Irving to play. And again, I, I genuinely don't like, I'm not an expert on race and, and culture. Like I'm not. So I don't know what the actual most effective way to do it is, but I understand completely both arguments. And I think on that side, it makes sense that Kyrie Irving would think, I don't need to be a basketball player saying something. I want to be a citizen saying something. I want to be part of the streets talking, not one of the celebrities talking. And I... I completely understand that. And I just thought Chappelle said it so unbelievably eloquently. Uh, to, to your point, Fred, uh, and I made a joke about this um, yesterday, I think it was on Twitter about LeBron losing Ohio for Hillary Clinton. Um, but the point I was trying to make, <laughs> um, the point that I was trying to make is that um who do people think these players are? Like, yes, they have millions of followers on social. Yes, they can get a lot of attention on themselves. They can get people to look at them. Um, I have a hard time thinking that, you know, with... We can use Kyrie Irving as an example, that he's going to have the level of clarity 
or the level of, you know, ability to narrow down a focus of what he's trying to do or say or bring attention to of a Dave Chappelle, who's one of the most effective communicators of our lifetimes, right? Like, it, it's it's not as simple as just getting up and going on your social or going on TV or doing whatever it is because you can get people to look at you and listen to what you're saying and delivering something that's going to move people. That's another component that I think gets underrated here when it's like well they should drop what they're doing and just become activists it's like eh, are they activists like are, will they be effective at that um I, and i think that matters when you're posing the question because there's this there's this sense out here that nba players can change the world by themselves uh, I, I i just have a hard I, time buying that i promise you they I, cannot like i <laughs> like, and, and that's not a knock on nba a, players like i and, and that's not to say that they shouldn't try zach of course i just think the expectation realistically here the way people the authority with which people talk about how much power and influence nba players have like i think nba players again like um, they command a certain level of attention. I think they can marshal influence amongst maybe the owner class of the NBA, maybe nudge those guys and marshaling whatever influence those guys have yeah. in support of the things they're trying to do. Maybe, but that's that's about it. This idea that the NBA players can get, you know, Americans writ large to no longer like cops. Ooh, you asking well, for a lot from some black dudes, y'all. I'm just saying. Well, and that's I, also think, well, I also think we haven't seen yet how powerful the NBA community can be. Mm. I, I think we saw some protests from teams after Colin Kaepernick knelt. I think there's been, obviously, there have been some incredible activists in the history of the NBA, Bill Russell among them. But to me right now, it's different. The league is different. The league, there are so many like inspirational players in the NBA with smarts, with, with ambition, with a great message to preach. And I think that right now, more players are active in the social justice reform than I've seen in my lifetime. And so I don't think we've seen the power that the players have yet. And I mean, obviously like, like LeBron is legitimately trying to help police reform. Like he's trying to lead toward police reform and he has this incredible school. And so players haven't them using this to, to mobilize and to, to get the extent of that power, I think is what they're trying to do and take advantage of this momentum. And it's the momentum part to me that is probably why Kyrie, why Dwight Howard are so intent on taking advantage of this moment right now when the entire country is listening. And so that to me, like, like I get that it shouldn't be on NBA players to do this. And there's a limit to, to how much clout a certain group of individuals has. But at the same time, like, I think there's another level that NBA players and athletes in general can reach that we haven't seen yet. Here, here's where I disagree a little bit, Jay, is that I've thought about this a lot over the last few weeks as we've seen this, this uprising, right? Is I don't believe, I don't believe you can convince people to vote. I think you either have that in you at certain points in your life or you don't. And I don't think, I don't think that activism actually works. And I could be, dead wrong on this but i really believe like people can talk and talk and talk all they want but to actually get out there and actively vote it's different than like oh i'm gonna go stand in line for this shoe right or this release or whatever i want to i want to go be a part of what they're saying now where i think players can be powerful in what you're talking about is i think i think organizing and focusing those who choose to do this stuff i think that's where players in the nba have the power and and it's all going to matter on the money, right? Like the NFL didn't ha all of a sudden have an epiphany about, Hey, you know what? Yeah. Black lives matter. Like that, that's not what, what happened was they saw their fan base. They saw a bunch of white people all of a sudden joining this in a way that hadn't been joined before. And they said, well, shit, we got to go that way. Right? Like the money is always going to rule this stuff. I think where players can be 
they're most powerful is by organizing that money that is willing to shift. And I think, I think that's, I think that's their calling card here in, in focusing the protest for the black lives matter movement and, and, you know, the voter reform and making sure voter suppression is, is eradicated and trying to get police reform and everything. I think they can, they can truly focus those who, who, I think they can truly focus those who find find that in them. But I don't and I and Fred, maybe I'm wrong on this, but like I just I don't think people are going to vote just because someone says, you know what, we gotta vote, guys. Like I think you either have that in you or you don't at at certain points in your life when it matters to you. So what we've seen throughout federal history is that people vote I don't know if I totally agree with you, Zach, because what we've seen throughout his federal throughout history, at least with federal elections, is that people vote when they're uncomfortable and the turnout is lower when the average American is more comfortable, right? The other thing that I will say is even if I totally agreed on the premise that you can't convince someone to vote, what you can do is you can help get rid of some of these societal institutions that make it more difficult for people who want to vote to be able to vote. Yes, that that I completely agree. And that's that's all part of the same fight, right? Uh, The Timberwolves, was it the Timberwolves? The Timberwolves, I think, right? Who who said we're giving everybody off on... on, uh, we're giving everybody off on election day. Was that the Timberwolves? Yeah. We're making it up. The Timberwolves did. I think Memphis yeah, did the 49ers it. Yeah, the 49ers said they were going to do it. it. Yeah. That, that is positive progression. That will not make a giant – that will not swing a presidential election. It is positive progression. Being able to get rid of some of these institutional reforms, being able to um, fight and advocate for uh, mail-in voting, which is – easier in some states and extremely difficult in other states where you need to provide an excuse and or you just can't get it. Being able to – I mean a lot of people pin Democrats as lazier voters than Republicans and, and maybe that is partially true. But part of the reason that Democrats tend to have lower turnout than Republicans is because dem- the average Democrat has a lower income than the average Republican and has a more difficult time missing work to go vote on a Tuesday. Uh, being able to put in reforms like that to make it so those people can go out and vote. So you don't get eight hour lines like we did in Georgia the other week, that kind of stuff where those lines are incredibly disproportionate in majority black communities compared to majority white communities. I think you can focus on those things and that's where you make the difference in voting as opposed to walking up to John Smith and saying – Oh, hey, John, you know what? You didn't vote last year. You should you should probably go vote Uh, to me, changing the institution, you change the institutions and you can change people's actions because there are a lot of people who probably want to vote and are unable to for various reasons. The tendency and I think where you can relate a voter to an NBA guy is when you're younger, there's this idea that your life is in your own hands, <laughs> you know, like that, that, that the world is your oyster, that you're driving this ship. Um, I, I, you know, that's just, that's just my, 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 my guess as to any of this stuff. Um, and you know, as far as the NBA is concerned, um, you know, like I said, these guys are optimistic people. So like the idea that, you know, they would come back and like the thought that they could come back and do positive change. Like these, these guys are used to thinking positively, used to thinking that they're going to be able to get something done. And so, you know, the concept that, that the NBA is going to come back and be able to help. Um, I, it doesn't seem foreign to me that players, that players think they can do multiple things at one time right like if you if you've gotten to the nba you've beaten so many odds along the way and i don't mean like the shit like nfl draft where they're talking about the guy's dad being a crack addict and his mom you know all of that type I of do stuff love i'm not that talking about draft coverage man oh I, I'm, my I'm not talking about those type of obstacles i'm talking about literally the competition like what it takes to be one of the you know 350 whatever it is guys that are in the nba in a given season um these guys are, are taught to think positive taught to think that they can accomplish things taught to think that they can beat the odds that they can fight anything and come out as as winners as victors um it's been happening throughout their entire lives and so that's why i think you'll see them come back i think you'll see them um 
try to use whatever it is, whatever that platform is going to be in the freaking Disney bubble, whatever that's going to look like. I think they're going to try to use it as a way to shed light on things that they care about. And I, and I think it's going to be a sustained effort too. Um, I, I think these guys, I think the coolest thing about the past few days and weeks, as far as NBA ironing out a deal, and then there being this sort of descent, um, is that guys are thinking about it and talking about it out loud. I love that it's bubbled to the surface and it's become something that everybody has to now talk about. And these guys are actually having the discussion amongst themselves. That, that's a beautiful thing, honestly, that there's this level of, you know, just ideas being exchanged amongst these guys. And I think it shows that that they care and that they will continue to care and that they're going to try their best to do what's right, man. Um, you mentioned the bubble Fred, in terms of uh, of what this bubble is going to look like, we've heard a, a lot of things about, you know, Disney workers may still be able to come and go as they please. And now, you know, that's still being negotiated. And I, I talked to, you know, Keith Smith, who's done a lot of work on this at, at Yahoo. Disney all of a sudden getting all of these applications. Yeah, from, well, so I talked to Keith Smith on, cities on, like Houston. On, <laughs> on NBA radio yesterday. And, uh, and he said that, you know, that there were hundreds of workers who were basically raising their hands saying, hey, if you need me locked in the bubble, I'll be in the bubble. You know, because they're going to be compensated. They're going to get overtime like that. You know, it's going to be lucrative for them um, as opposed to just their normal shifts and their normal workflow. And so I do think the NBA will end up having more of a bubble than has been reported. But do you think that it's going to be what it needs to be? So I, I was raised by a stereotypical Jewish mother. So I'm incredibly neurotic. And I... You? Shocking. No. I know. I was joking to my mom that if I ever covered the bubble, I'd be like, you raised me to do this. I would think of every possible angle of what could go wrong. Uh, I, I, I would be scared to go. I would go if I had the opportunity as a reporter, for sure. It, it would be an incredible Ooh, journalistic I would opportunity. not. Absolutely not. I wouldn't have fun. But it would be an right. unbelievable journalistic opportunity for me. And like the journalist in me would want to go cover something that's historic on the beat that I cover, you know, and historic for so many people who even don't follow the NBA and want to know about it. Um, that being said, I would be nervous about it. I would be nervous about right now. The plan is that Disney workers are coming and going, which makes it not a bubble. You know, the whole point of a bubble is that a bubble is fragile. We don't we don't call it a military tank. We call it a bubble because when you poke a bubble, it pops and that's the problem. So it's not and, and Adam Silver did clarify this a little bit. It's not it's not really a bubble. So I'd be nervous about that. That being said, Fauci did say that he thought the plan was pretty, I believe he said solid. Uh, he did say that it was, was pretty solid. To me. I was, was shocking. <laughs> I was shocked by that too, but I trust him more than I trust anybody. So, like, what if he's just like LeBron's best friend? We don't know. About. <laughs> yeah, he is a big basketball, he's a basketball fan, right? Talk to Steph yeah. Curry. Like, <laughs> he is a big basketball. But I don't know. It was that that I have been. I'll say skeptical about this the whole time because I don't want to say that I'm. I'm a, I'm not necessarily against it, but I've been skeptical about the way it's been handled the whole time, and I have definitely been on the on the side of looking for the flaws uh, more overtly than probably the average person, which I think might just be kind of like the journalist in me. But that being said, when Fauci said that that he's seen the plan and it was solid, I was like, okay, what if I have to be missing something, right? Like I. I have to be missing something or or he knows something that I don't. Well, obviously he knows a lot that I don't, but he he knows more more information that I don't or I'm just flat out wrong about certain things like maybe maybe if you have Disney workers coming and going but they're not actually coming within 6 feet of of players and and people who are there every day and they're always wearing masks and that kind of stuff, maybe it's more okay than I realize it to be. It still makes me uneasy, but but Fauci saying that it really it really threw me off and and it's it's kind of made me just sort of unsure because I obviously for obvious reasons I really trust what he has to say. Have you guys been reading the stories about the sports that actually have tried bubbles already? Like I I read in the New York Times about the I think it was a UFC in boxing 
and they interviewed a boxer who was in the bubble for like a few days just for his fight. And he basically, he was, he was like, you know, this stinks. The, the training facilities aren't what we're used to. Um, he, he put down a whole list of things. Obviously he understood why, but then he said with the NBA, he's like, I couldn't do this for as long as they're asking players to do. And then Jordan Crawford is over in Germany. Our, our friend Steez, good, good old Steez. Um, and they're, they're resuming their season with a three week tournament. And he basically said like for three weeks, yeah, I, I can do this. But again, for as long as the NBA is asking guys, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And the limitations on these guys is going to be huge. And I may be, I feel like there hasn't been enough talk about that. Like the eight regular season games, the three scrimmages, the training camps, everything else, guys are going to be in the bubble for about a month and a half before their any of their family members are even invited. A month and a half. And that's that's for all 22 teams in the bubble. Then you tack on another couple months where there will be limited family. Nobody's going to be able to have – friends there like guys aren't going to be able to to hang out with girls like there are a lot of single dudes in the nba there are a lot of guys who aren't single who act like they're single and even that <laughs> even, even even that is like guys are gonna guys are gonna miss that they're gonna and especially now with so much of the country opening up to some extent they're gonna be missing out on freedoms in in ways that players and people in general aren't used to so it's it's a huge ask to ask guys to to stay in the bubble for that long beyond the health risks it's just the the limitations would be to me just really eye-opening and i mean if you have to do it then sure but but it sounds like guys will have an option and like to me if i'm if I'm Aaron Baines on the Suns, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, what why the hell I would I be going right? into the bubble yeah. for? If if I'm if I'm Ish Smith on the Wizards, I'm like, why the hell are they even asking me to go? We're 24 and fucking 40. So you can take the so, magic in a playing tournament. So Jay, so Come Jay, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny, it's funny you say that. So when I was when I was in college. Uh, I was a play-by-play guy in the Cape Cod Baseball League. For those who don't know, that's like the top, top, top college. I think we've all, I think we've all seen Summer Catch, and we're familiar. Okay, Summer Freddie Prince Jr. Summer baby. Catch <laughs> is a classic. Summer Catch, thank is you, a classic. thank you. An, oh, that is it. the most underrated sports movie thank of all time. You. So, so while I was there, I my man just wanted to play in Podunk. <laughs> So while I was while I was there, I, I burned down zero sheds, but I did oh. see a lot of baseball, and I was the I was the play by play guy for the for the Brewster Whitecaps. And that summer, the Whitecaps were good. They fell off at the end of the year. They ended up getting the last playoff spot, and because they had fallen off and they had losing a couple of players, and they had been there for two months. And the idea is, you fly to Cape Cod, you're in Cape Cod the whole summer, you live with host families, but like Cape Cod is awesome. It was so much fun as a college student just spending a summer there watching baseball. They're, they're, they spend the summer there playing baseball. I had such a great time. It was such a great summer job. And by the time they get to the playoffs, the series is two out of three. That team had lost some players and lost games at the end of the year. They're the last seed. They just wanted to go home. They lose game one. It's two out of three. They go into game two, and there's this kid pitching, Matt Larkins. He was like one of two kids on the team who didn't get drafted into the minor leagues. And this kid throws like the game of his life. I think he threw seven shutout innings, and they won the game. And everyone on the team was furious with him because they had to stay in the cave (laughs) for an extra day, and everyone wanted to go home. And yes, these are college athletes, but these are like incredible college athletes, the vast majority of whom end up getting drafted into the minor leagues and many of whom end up going to the major leagues. Like there were good major leaguers on that team and they were furious with this kid for for prolonging their playoff run. They ended up losing game three, shockingly, and they went home a day later. And my the point of me telling that story is I wonder... If a team is in the second round and doesn't really like, let's say the Pacers win their first round series and then they play the Bucks in round two and they just get smoked in the first two rounds, the first two games. Is a team like the Pacers going to be like, all right, it's 2 0, just mail it in? 
Like we have to go home. It's been a month and a half. I miss my kids. I miss being able to go outside. Like we, we, we just, I, I want to go. And they just kind of mail it in. And I, I wonder if the bubble is going to have maybe even a more extreme effect. I know these are pros and those are, I'm talking about college kids and these are pros and they're paid and they're probably more competitive because they make it all the way to the NBA. They're elite competitors, but they're also human beings. That kind of stuff can have a psychological toll on that. And I feel like we're going to see people who have that same sort of reaction to what the Whitecaps did that summer I was with them. The entire rhythm of a playoff series is going to be so thrown off. Because normally, like you're you're trying to split on the road and then go home and win both, and now it's like there is no home, <laughs> there is no road. <laughs> if you go down two nothing, that could be close to insurmountable against a, a better team. So I, I'm interested to see what that looks like too. I don't think the the concept of home court advantage will be like all that different because I mean, for the, if you play a six game series, there's three games at home, three games on the road. But I do think that just the the differences in the rhythm and and the urgency for each team, like if you go down one nothing, there could be more urgency than ever to to tie up that series. And so there are just so many differences. It'll be so weird with no fans, but but the rhythm is is one thing I, I think that kind of stands out to me about how different playoff series will be. Everything we have learned over the history of the NBA about a seven game series could be pretty drastically different yeah so let's say it doesn't come back right let's say the players decide to just say fuck this we're not doing this the cba is definitely going to get torn up right i mean i can't i can't envision a scenario in which the owners do not retaliate um and it could be retaliating from a vengeance standpoint it could be retaliating from just a financial standpoint but they're going to want to gain control and say like all right this 50 50 split is bullshit like we're we're running this league, we're funding this league, whether that's right or not, that's going to be the message, right? And we need to recoup this money because they're just trying to cut, they're trying to just save, you know, save and lessen the losses right now. But if the losses become a full $2 billion, this is then going to become not just like try to, you know, soften the blow. It's going to be, we need to recoup this shit. Yeah, I think that's... I think I, that makes sense. I, I don't look. I, I I I don't. Again, I don't know all the things that we that I thought I knew about the owners. I, I, I was just like this. These last three months have changed my mind about. Like I mentioned that early on the pod, but like I've changed my mind about what actually moves these guys and what their actual pockets are. Like you can call me a conspiracy theorist, but I'm just convinced that a lot of this stuff is posturing and it's all just a shell game, man. Like the idea that the NBA is just my little play thing. I don't care about the money I get from it. I can just sit back and just fall back and just rest on my laurels. And like, that may be true of Steve Ballmer. That may be true of the, the Paul Allen's family. <laughs> that may be true of a couple of people, but for the most part, I, I have a hard time believing that um, the Oklahoma City Thunder people can just straight up say, all right, we're shredding this thing up. Or even the Lakers, man, who this is their business. Right. Well, I, but you I know, like they, also, they're pulling in a lot of money. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know that the owners can afford to take an aggressive posture um, after what we've learned about American business during the coronavirus. Yeah, well, you mentioned that, but I also think a lot of this stuff in terms of what's leaking to the media is posturing. And that's how it usually is anyway. But I, I still think like Jay, I think when it comes down to it, the agents who run this league a lot more than people realize, well, not us, but like, you know, the casual fan, like the, I think the agents are going to tell the players before they decide, no, we're not coming back. Like, look, these are the ramifications and this will happen. And so maybe it's, fi- maybe it's best to find a way to express your, you know, your social message and your social change message from the Orlando bubble. Yeah. I mean, money speaks and I do think there will be drastic implications if the players decide not to come back. And I do think that they would rip up the CBA and I do think the negotiating would not be fun. And like, yeah, like, like we've said, players need the money. Owners need the money. 
Um, I think at some point the urgency of that will be felt, and I think some players feel it already. Like some Jared Jared Dudley, like I said earlier, has been harping about about how much would change for the players, and not in a good way, if if they don't end up playing this this summer and having some sort of playoffs and making $900 million or whatever the the exact number would be. So the reach is far and the the decisions here are extremely important for every, in every way. And I, I think ultimately the players will decide to play because of that, at least in part because of that. And there are a lot of guys who just want to play basketball yeah. And shit, I, I want to play basketball. I haven't played for three months. I got no money on the line. But but also, like, there is a fi- financial pressure to play. And I think a lot of the players feel that. And maybe we're not hearing that message as much right now because Kyrie and Dwight Howard are, are making this push. But but that's there, and, and players feel that. Yeah, well, next week when Dion Waiters speaks up, we'll, we'll find a way to, to get that message going even further. Because I feel like, you know, was once Dion wakes up, you know. I mean, I have such a profound respect for Dion Waiters, um, and his 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 life's journey. His <laughs> yeah, after an experience I had last week, man, I'm just like, man, Dion, I, I see you, brother. There it is. So much respect. Can I tell right. you guys a Dion <laughs> Waiters story before we wrap? Sure. Yes, yes. Let's so I covered Dion. I covered Dion Waiters in Oklahoma City. And uh, I actually, I was, so I was a manager at Syracuse when my freshman year, when Dion was a junior in high school and went on his, his tour of Syracuse. So I was there for his, for his tour. So I've known Dion for a very, very long time. So after they lost game seven to Golden State in the 2016 Western Conference Finals, Dion and I are outside the locker room and we're just talking. I, I like Dion a lot. I think he's hilarious. He's he's super good to reporters. And he says to me, like, so what do you what do you do now? Like season's over. What are you doing for five months? This is 2016. So I say, well, you know, I might take like a week off, but then I got the draft and then I got to cover uh, and Kevin Durant was standing next to me talking to somebody else. And so I said, right, I got to cover this guy's free agency. Dion puts his hand on my shoulder, gives me this look. I think knowing that I was going to laugh, but being completely serious and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean my free agency. <laughs> Legendary yeah, story. I, I lost it. I'm like, this guy is such a treasure. Such a, such a treasure of a person. Kobe Wade. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's the, that's the perfect Dion Waiter really story. Is. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. Make sure you subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash back to back. You get some kind of deal, right, Jade? Yes, sir. You get 30 days free, baby. Woo, 30 days. That's a whole month. And 40% off. Also a great gift for Father's Day. Just got it for my dad, and he loves it. He loves The Athletic. Oh, that's a good gift. Well, have him check out the uh, the number four rankings all time. Number four pick rankings all time sometime in the next week. About that. All right, I'll do that right now. And, uh... And uh, make sure you subscribe. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, do that. And you can uh, click the old follow button on this podcast. You get notifications for new podcast episodes of any of our podcasts. And uh, you can even comment on podcasts now. So hit that comment button and let us know what a great job we're doing. And uh, thanks for subscribing to the podcast anyway. If you're doing that on any other podcast platform, make sure you leave a review. And rate us five stars because that's the thing that Dion Waiters would do uh, if he was rating his own free agency. Uh, for Jay King, for Fred Katz, for Wazzy Lambre and Jade Hoy, I'm Zach Harper. Thanks for subscribing to The Athletic.